0: Hello and welcome to Where You Lead, a podcast where we, a real life mother and daughter duo, rewatch Gilmore Girls and discuss the misadventures of fictional mother and daughter duo Lorelei and Rory Gilmore. I am Tessa Dare, a writer and the author of the paranormal mystery series, The Qurans and Chronicles, and Beth's daughter.
1: And I am Beth, and I'm also a writer. If you are new to the podcast, here's a little background. Tessa and I have been take- talking about art and culture pretty much since she could read. These conversations have frequently taken on a marathon quality, so at some point, one of us said we should move our discussions to the digital world, maybe even into a podcast. The Gilmore seemed like a good choice because the story resonates with us. I was a single mother of a teenage daughter attending a private school we could not afford. This past year, our first year, has been fun, provocative, and a learning experience for both of us. I had to learn how to slow down and speak clearly, and Tess had to master the engineering of sound editing. We got our feet wet and found our groove with the Gilmore Girls, where the plot lines often touched on topics we love to discuss, such as images of women and popular culture, and structural elements of storytelling, such as character development and theme, because we're both writers.
0: And today we have an announcement. This episode marks the end of our journey here with the Gilmore Girls. We've enjoyed our run, but Mom and I have decided it's time to move on to new things. To that end, we will be relaunching the podcast with a new name and a new format, but don't worry, it will be located on the same feed, so if you're already subscribed, you'll stay subscribed, and if you're not, then subscribe! Please join us one month from now when we relaunch as Woman Inherits the Earth, our new discussion podcast focused on the representation of women in film and in other media. We're going to start off by discussing the Oscar-nominated movies of 2022, beginning with The Woman King. That doesn't mean we'll never talk about the Gilmore Girls again, of course. We are currently thinking that we'll do a few episodes covering Season 2 that we'll upload directly to our Patreon. So if you'd like to hear those episodes, you'll need to head on over to patreon.com slash where you lead and sign up.
1: We are ready and excited to broaden our outlook as we move and grow and hope you will stay with us into the future. A final note, I am recording in St. Louis. Tess is in Seattle, and I have had one cup of coffee today, which is unusual for me. I usually have two or three. Yeah,
0: and I am still on my first iced coffee today. It's very hot in Seattle. We are recording this in July. Uh, Actually, today is not too bad, but yesterday it was very hot, and... I do not like to drink hot coffee when it is hot, so it took a really long time to brew my coffee and then bring it down to a temperature that I could drink, <laughs> so I'm still on the first one.
1: Well, and I'm one of those weirdos that loves hot coffee any day of the year. I, You could not get me to touch cold coffee um but except unless it was a blended coffee drink Mm -hmm. that i can do yeah but but i i like hot coffee anyway so so yeah
0: every week we start off with a discussion of the episode along with the date it aired before heading into our discussion
1: today we are discussing season one episode 21 which is the last episode of the season Love daisies and troubadours is the title. It was originally aired on May tenth, two thousand and one. Did you come up with an alternate title for this one?
0: No, I didn't. But um, I would maybe nominate today. I'm suffering from ennui. Yes. <laughs>
1: This that's great, and actually that is a theme that starts the episode off and ends it, kind of. So yeah, that would be a good one today. I'm suffering from ennui.
0: The very brief episode overview I would say is after a series of misadventures, Rory gets back together with Luke, and over the course of an escalating argument. No, 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 no.
1: no. Rory doesn't get back with Luke. She gets back with Dean. Oh, sorry. With (laughs) with Dean. Dean. She gets back with Dean. I
0: straight up wrote down Luke, and I'm reading it out of my notes. (laughs) Dean. You know, all men are interchangeable in the end.
1: <laughs> they really are, aren't they?
0: <laughs> no, you're right. Um, gets back together with Dean. Uh, and in the course of an escalating argument, Max proposes to Lorelei.
1: <laughs> and you know what? I just, just so you know, listeners, I had five hours of sleep. And this is at the end of like a three or four week period. Yeah where I really have not been getting enough sleep. And I don't know if that's because of the wedding trip to Seattle. Just so you know, since we're on this last episode, I can say Tess got married at the beginning of, of June. We had a big wedding and it was out of town for me. And And for some reason, I cannot get back into a good sleep schedule. And last night it was five hours. Anyway, so the, the opening scene to this. <laughs> cracks me up for for that reason and many others but it starts with loud knocking they're both in bed so Rory and and Lorelai are both in bed there's loud banging going on and Lorelai gets up discombobulated and she's like you can see she's just half asleep what the hell is going on she's walking through the house can't figure so she goes and and wakes up her daughter Mm -hmm. and this is a line that I wrote down that my insane mother woke me up Margot Kidder Gilmore, yeah. which I thought was kind of mean. Margot Kidder actually did suffer from some mental health issues for a couple of years, and I think this was during that during that period. And and in case you don't know who that is, she's an actress. She was in Superman. She played Lois Lane. Um, she died a few years ago, and I just loved her as Lois Lane. To me, she will always be Lois Lane. But I think your first is is. The one you stick with, so like you know, Michael Keaton will always be yeah, Batman. I was gonna say, tonight. I think my so. first
0: Lois Lane was what's her name, Terry Hatcher.
1: Oh, Terry Hatcher, yeah. the TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. She yeah. is always yeah. who I
0: think of. Anyway, it was a
1: very mean thing to say. Yeah, but I, I will excuse her because she was half asleep, and her mother, or she was asleep, and her mother woke her up. Yeah. So anyway, she goes downstairs and finds that Luke is is repairing. Her front porch, the railings on her front porch. And she starts yelling at him. And I mean, she yells at him during this entire scene, which is kind of out of character for her. I mean, she can be emphatic, Mm -hmm. but she's yelling at him. And... He finally stops. He's trying to fix her, her porch, and he stops and, and kind of stands there and stares at her while she finishes yelling. And then the next-door neighbor, and it is a next-door neighbor. Yeah. She, you know, we, we had talked yes. before about whether or not Babette lived next door or across the street, but she's definitely, definitely next, next door. Yeah. And, yeah, and Lorelai has locked herself out of the house in the process of yelling at Luke. And she starts yelling for Rory to come down and let her in, and Babette comes out and says, What are you doing up at 630? 30 yeah it's too too early to be yelling and she said yeah we'll tell that to luke anyway so there's there's this whole scene going on and i i my my thought was you're yelling at him for doing you a favor although it is 6 30 yeah i don't know i'm
0: I'm sort of on her side with this one i think luke's like he it sounds like he didn't even ask he didn't ask or tell her that he was gonna show up if some random Mm -hmm. person showed up at my house and started loudly nailing stuff in a position where it like would wake me up i would be pretty mad (laughs)
1: oh of... 6 30 on a saturday absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. if he would waited till 8 but then his diner opened so he can't wait until 8 and that's what he sa- tells her He said, i can't do it later
0: I, I do understand that but he didn't even ask her she didn't know he was gonna do or this. tell her
1: tell her he was coming over yeah. or anything and
0: part of the joke of this scene is uh bab she does like talk to babette and babette tells her she's waking everybody up and she does say "Well, will tell that to luke but then she turns around and luke is just gone he has just dematerialized.
1: <laughs> he, he just, he's just gone. He got the message. He left. It's a great visual gag. Yeah. He's gone. But yeah, so, and I guess we skip ahead two days then, because I'm pretty sure she said it was Saturday. Was it Saturday?
0: I'm, I'm not totally sure what day she said it was, but then the next scene takes place at the inn. But she might not only work during the week. She, you know, she might have to go in mm-hmm. on the weekends pretty regularly.
1: But Roy gets up and goes to school. I'm not clear if that's the same day. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, it's, it's okay. So so they do get to the end, yes. and she's working, and Michelle has Ennui. So this is a great... Michelle doesn't always get a... I mean, he's funny, but he doesn't always get a whole scene. Yeah. This is pretty much his scene. And he says he has Ennui, a metaphysical angst. Actually, Ennui is boredom, but that uh, I mean, that's what it actually means and you know in French but the best monologue he's ever had he says and I I wrote down the whole thing I've made my peace with the fact that everyone who calls here is a notch above brain dead and that the pennies I am thrown each week are in exchange for me dealing with these people in a non-violent manner and usually that is fine but today sorry lady I have ennui. <laughs> <laughs> I have never heard anybody say I have ennui before, mm-hmm. except Michelle. And then, of course, a few minutes later, Suki. But how do you have ennui? you have boredom? <laughs> you have boredom?
0: Today, I'm suffering from ennui. Also, the way that he says ennui, I like can't even fully imitate it. He's just like, he's so yeah. French on that end. Ennui. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ennui. You make light, it increases my ennui
1: uh but yeah and then she
0: she walks into the kitchen she brings him into the kitchen where suki is thinking that she'll make him some coffee and that will help with the ennui and then of course suki is staring sadly off into the distance and says that she also thinks that
1: she's suffering from ennui and and it's such a a great visual because you walk into the kitchen and there's these gloriously beautiful cake Mm -hmm. sitting on the counter that she has made but she's sitting there in the same exact position Mm -hmm. with her head in her hands you know with her elbows up on the counter and her head in her hands just as just as michelle had been exactly the same and at first you don't understand what's going on has something bad happened to them Mm -hmm. is there something in the air but no apparently it is that suki picks up whatever disease it is that anybody else has (laughs) Including, including mental health ones.
0: Yeah, which she protests. <laughs> Lorelai says, you know, you can't tell Suki what you have because she'll immediately think that she has it. Suki protests. And then Lorelai says, oh, yeah, what was that whole conversation last week where I had to convince you you didn't have a prostate?
1: Yes. <laughs> And this whole scene though made me think yeah there are days when you get up and you just can't. And and that's what he's going through here and of course he yeah. just picks it up but but she's not that's not her personality. She's just picking it up from him. Yeah. But his personality does tend to be a little dour and it's he's on one of his days where he just can't. Anyway, also in this scene, Suki's hair is red. Did you notice that? Yes, it's very red.
0: Yeah, and of course since it isn't Suki's personality, she is fine by the end of the scene. Lorelai asks her what the opposite of Ennui is and eventually Suki answers off we and then immediately bounces back just one pun yeah. and
1: she's good yeah one good one funny joke and she is she is cured yeah and she, she says off we oh I'm cured yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that that's that's the whole scene it's not particularly important to the plot but I do love Michelle and his delivery is fantastic and it's also kind of a good just you know shows each of their characters Michelle is kind of a dour person Lorelai on the other hand is near manic all the time
1: Yeah. And And a fixer. She's a fixer. So she's trying to fix these two people. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And Suki is normally near manic, but apparently very impressionable.
1: Very impressionable.
0: But she jumps right back.
1: Well, and, and this is a it's a delightful scene. The whole episode is kind of whimsical and delightful, and and I, I you know overall. And this is this is definitely one of the more whimsical scenes, even though he is suffering with ennui. ennui.
0: <laughs> so then, the next scene, we go back to the house, I believe, and Lorelai and Rory discuss their dreams. I didn't make a ton of notes about this scene, except I did note that when Lorelai, so at this point, Luke is working on the roof. Luke has come back over and he's working on the roof of the porch. And there's a part where Lorelai comes out to talk to him because she's trying to remember the guy who used to run the auto shop. And the main thing that I kept thinking in this scene is he's just dangling that hammer over the roof and it is like right over her head several times. I'm just like, you are going to drop that hammer on Lorelai's head. <laughs> he doesn't,
1: of course. He doesn't. And, and their back and forth is, is just... Lo- it's just lively and wonderful. And actually before this, somewhere in here, we have the con- the phone conversation with Max where they're talking about the vicious circle.
0: Is that there?
1: I thought it was I have it in my notes before they're eating cornflakes. So oh, I don't know. Yeah, it's no, I think you're right. There. I think you're
0: right. I think it happens at the end of the ennui scene. I think he calls her while she's still at yeah. the at the
1: inn. Yeah. At the inn, yeah. And they have this-, this conversation where they go back and forth where it's a vicious circle in their relationship, basically. They're talking about
0: Well, they call it a vicious circle. Circle it's it's them both being like lovey dovey and not wanting to hang up the phone.
1: Yeah, not wanting to hang up. That's what it is. I could I couldn't remember what it was. I just wrote down Vicious Circle Conversation with Max. Yeah, that's what it was. So they're being silly, but it's cute and it's romantic and it's sweet. And I only bring it up because I'm gonna bring it up again later. Yeah. I think there's a lot there's a lot of stuff going on in this episode that works really well and we'll talk about it again later but that worked really well the conversation with with Luke with him on the roof goes off without a a hitch and he doesn't drop the hammer on her head so yeah and
0: then while they are talking Rory is walking through the house and she ends up opening the closet where Lorelai had put her box with all of the Dean stuff so she finds Mm -hmm. the box and she picks it up and Lorelai comes back in and immediately starts apologizing slash Explaining herself, but Rory is not mad. She has healed enough that she sees, kind of without even having to say mm-hmm. anything, that her mom was right. And she just says thank you and kisses her on the cheek and then brings her box into her room to look through the stuff, which is where my main note for this scene came up. Rory was going to throw away that whole dress. That whole dress that her mom made was in that box. Had
1: made for her. (laughs) Yes, I noticed that too.
0: I, I get that Rory wanted to like shed her past or whatever, but there is no way I would have thrown away one of my dress. beautiful dresses just because I mm-hmm. broke up with someone. No way. It, and it, it
1: was it was a beautiful dress, yeah. It was yeah.
0: lovely. It was great. Her mom did a great job. And her mom made that dress.
1: Made the dress, yeah. <sighs> and, you know, and part of that scene, too, is they're talking about Lorelai. They're sitting at the table eating cornflakes out of the box not even the sugar ones but the but the flat cornflakes and Lorelai starts telling Rory about this dream she has and then Rory says oh that reminds me of the dream that I had and Lorelai accuses her of switching the conversation to her dream but what she doesn't hear is it's the same dream yeah they're both they both find themselves in vats of oil yeah (laughs) which is really weird but anyway (laughs) so that I I couldn't let that go by because as a mother and daughter I don't think you and I have ever had the same dream on the same night no I don't think you know.
0: so. I don't think you you were never that interested in discussing dreams. I was. I used to like write down my dreams. Oh, you
1: did. You would you you would give me. You would call me actually and tell me deep, very detailed. And the thing is, you could <clears throat> you could remember your dreams. You you would you would. I don't know if you woke up and wrote them down, but you had yeah. very clear detailed memories and I never could if I didn't write it down right away I it was gone yeah I mean uh, but I, you, did, you would remember them. yeah
0: I think I would remember them because I was in the habit when I was like a, in the middle of my teen years of writing them down I had a little notebook where I would write down my dreams mm-hmm. which I think uh, therapist or someone told me to do to remember them or whatever. And like now I am at the point where I sort of wish I had never done that because I do still remember a lot of my dreams and I would prefer not yeah. to. Some of them are not great. Yeah. <laughs>
1: like Absolutely. I'm
0: kind of yeah. I'd kinda of like to just forget them at this point. But my brain well, like automatically does it now.
1: But you know what? They can you you can use them in your novels. I don't know if you have or not, but there are two dreams that I've had that I, I don't know if they were repetitive dreams, or if they just were so positive and had such a good impact on me, or if I wrote them down, yeah. but I remembered them enough to put them in my novel. One was the one where I see, where I'm listening to my, my mother and my grandmother talk, and mm-hmm. that was something that had actually, you know, I that had happened to us. And in my dream, it was me and my mother having that, con- that conversation. Uh, and then the other one is where there was a you were keeping you had a pet dinosaur in your in your bedroom but it was okay and i knew it was okay because i figured if he, if it ate you i could just cut it open and get you out and that was that was actually in the dream just so you know listeners uh Tessa's editing my novels she hasn't gotten that far yet but that's one of the dreams the, yes all right yeah but I knew it would be okay because I could get you out.
0: There's actually an episode of Buffy that was based uh, on a dream. Mar- Marty Noxon, who was one of the like head writers of the show, talked about pitching some of her ideas. And then on a whim, none of her ideas were like landing. And then on a whim, she pitched this weird dream that she had had. And that was the one that they went with. Dreams
1: can, can do that. I mean, if you can remember them and write them down, your, your, your brain is just, you know, yeah. brain on acid. That's what, that's what dreams feel like. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Like, so anyway, so why, my question was, why is Luke still fixing her house this time on the roof? Mm -hmm. And and the the guy they could remember, they actually actually had to call somebody. It was Jim Dunning, the Dick Tracy guy. That's how they were describing him. And they both described him that way. And they finally, it was the owner of an auto parts store that she was trying to remember. I don't know that we ever find out why she's trying to remember. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so then we get to the Dean box and she put it in with the Max box and she explains that to rory yes. she says next and max and m-a-x box b-o-x so they could they could chat and keep each other company and they've been they've been doing that at, 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 presumably in the closet ever since she uh rory and dean broke up so
0: so then the next scene is a, a pretty classic rory and lane scene and i say this because mm-hmm. a lane is doing some pretty unfeminist ranting here and also b rory is ignoring her <laughs>
1: Exactly. So, Lane is... is, Well, what she's talking about, though, is that she's been... Somebody tried to recruit her to be a cheerleader. And it's uh, Janie Fertman... And she, want, she wanted to say to her, or maybe she did say to her. I'm not sure if she did say I don't say think she it, actually he,
0: said anything mean out loud. She just thought in She her was head. thinking it. Yeah. She
1: wanted to say, you are a vacuous bimbo. And compared to Devanna White with the uh, turning of the numbers and Rory is not listening. But the, the person had apparently told Lane she was cheerleader material. Yes.
0: And Lane was
1: offended. And she didn't want to go full Matrix on her.
0: Yeah. Which, like, you know, it is kind of funny. And, you know, I get that, like, Lane is, like, a very independent person. Person, But, you know, I did I did not like this conversation. I, I thought it was pretty mm-hmm. sexist. I, I don't think it's cool to tell other girls that they're... And she didn't actually say it, but I don't think it's cool to think of other girls as vacuous bimbos just because they're into an activity that you don't like or that you think yeah. you don't like. She hasn't actually mm-hmm. tried cheerleading, so she doesn't know if she's into mm-hmm. it. And, you know, I get at the time cheerleaders were absolutely the go-to like that's what a vacuous girl does she does cheerleading yeah.
1: or so, vanna white
0: yeah but i also like have known multiple people who have engaged in competitive cheerleading and it's actually a, yep. a pretty difficult sport on a par with gymnastics it like, is they have to be pretty i mean you know there is a difference between competitive cheerleading and cheerleading for sports although they do have some things in common but you know it's it's an activity it doesn't mean anything more about you than that you do this activity so it It is kind of Mm -hmm. frustrating to see Lane being so denigrating of this girl who is not a character and then that is also followed up by rory's comment later in the scene where she's talking about this imaginary slutty thursday afternoon girl which we can talk about in a second it's just it, yeah. it was a scene that was rife with some sexist
1: language yeah I, I think you're right competitive cheer is a competitive sport and actually i think i've even read that the olympics is considering adding it as a sport because it's it's uh and it's not just female it's not just women who no. do it what, and one of the people that I
0: know who who did it is a man.
1: Right, it's it's very it requires incredible athleticism. So yeah, it's it's but now the kind of cheerleader. She's talking about is it, the kind that's rah rah for the for the football team. Yeah. So, but here's my question, and I put this down as they were talking, and because it finally occurred to me, and of course it's the last episode, so <clears throat> of the of the first season. How is Lane L A N E a Korean name?
0: I don't I don't know enough about Korean names to know, but it could be that her parents weren't trying to give her a Korean name. I mean, mm. I've I've known a I've known a high number of girls named Joyce. Who were from hmm. different countries in Asia because sometimes when people emigrate to America, particularly from Asian countries, they will choose a new first name that they think sounds, you know, more American. American. And they don't yeah. necessarily have information on what is like current. Uh, so, like, Joyce was a big. Choice. I'm, I'm not totally sure why, but I've literally known, like, at least okay, three that makes sense. different Asian girls who were named Joyce.
1: Well, and Korean names may be harder for Americans to yeah, I think, understand yeah, and pronounce. Americans and... are
0: bad at pronouncing Korean names.
1: Bad at pronouncing anything that isn't American, but yeah. And I think
0: it's also just a part of, I mean, you know, we don't know when Lane's parents moved to America. It, there are, I can't remember if this has come up yet or not, but there is an indication that Lane does have some relatives who who are still in Korea, but, mm-hmm. you know, they may have chosen her name as a way of trying to give her a more anglicized name.
1: So they end up in front of Taylor's store yes. where Dean is supposed to be working and she keeps going back and forth. And here's another instance of this going back and forth. And the dialogue is, you know, they don't miss a beat. And she finally says, I'm going in. Lane says to her, I missed the old war. You've been mopey dopey and about 12 other melancholy drawers. Yeah. <laughs> So she she decides she's uh and that she's staging a comeback, more special than Peter Frampton's. So she's, Lane is on, on, all of her references are in here. The Matrix, The Dwarves, Peter Frampton. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so she goes into Taylor's shop looking for Dean, and she's acting kind of funny, and Taylor notices it, but she doesn't want to say that she's looking for Dean. He accuses her of shoplifting, because she meets four of the eight characteristics of a shoplifter, (laughs) including a baggy coat. Yeah. So, she tells him she's looking for a stock boy, but he's not there, and she doesn't say I'm looking for Dean. Yeah. She just says I'm looking for your stack boy so he brings up the stack boy which is not Dean. And they have an awkward conversation and she heads out.
0: Yeah. And then she leaves. Then she kind of has a little mini meltdown with Lane where she says that it's bad that Dean isn't working because it means that he has decided to take Thursday afternoons off which automatically must mean that he is seeing a girl who wants to hang out on Thursday afternoons and that's when she talks about the the slutty I think she says like th- she wants to do slutty Thursday afternoon things or something. She she repeatedly uses yeah. the term slutty to describe this imaginary girl and it's clearly just a way of expressing her negative feelings about what has happened, but it is yet another like okay, this isn't a real girl. We're talking about an imaginary girl, but it's still just like why do you have to use these terms? Rory, these are pretty sexist terms and there isn't even a person here that you're talking about.
1: Well, and I think Rory has a habit of differentiating herself from Mm -hmm. the pack. Yeah. And because she does think she's better than them. She would never say that. But this is how she shows it. She thinks she's smarter. She thinks she's more sophisticated. Uh, She thinks she is a very elitist approach to her own life. She differentiates herself as being better than the pack, except for Lane and Dean.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. And then just to to begin our other subplot of this episode, we do briefly see the Troubadour in this scene.
1: The Troubadour. The troubadour. <laughs> the, troubadour,
0: the troubadour who looks like Elvis Costello just sings a little song. I didn't actually write down what he was singing, but he just sings out like a line as they're walking past him, which is mainly important because he gets an actual plot line in this episode. Then we go to school and deal with Tristan again. So we're, we're back at Shilton.
1: Our favorite character, Tristan.
0: Yeah. Rory is at her locker and Tristan comes up and tells her to decorate her locker, which is already decorated, but I guess he doesn't think he he wants her decorations to be more sexual I think is the implication well he
1: says something other than dead black and white women so the yes. photos are all black and white is what he means by that but the one picture that I, I recognized was Virginia Woolf so there's a lot of it's probably all women writers yeah. And because she wants to be a writer and they're they're all dead. And that's what he says. Something other than dead black and white women.
0: I think the implication is that he thinks she should decorate more like he has, which she references the way he is decorated. It sounds like it's just like women in bikinis.
1: Yeah, that's what she should do. A a 16-year-old girl should have pictures of of women in bikinis in her locker. I mean,
0: maybe he thinks she should have shirtless men in her locker. I'm honestly not sure. It it was just an obnoxious... Uh, like it's sort of an early sign to show that he still doesn't get her which i think Mm -hmm. maybe sets up undercutting his next thing which is he asks her to mm. go with him to a pj harvey concert which that in and of itself you would think oh he does get her because he gets that she would like pj harvey but it's coming on the heels of what he has just said so he he gets her on a superficial level
1: do you know who pj harvey is because i didn't i do
0: i don't know if i can come up with anything that she's done off the top well of my i've head. got her i've
1: yeah, um, I I looked her up. Apparently, she was kind of a punker, punk rock person. But I'm yeah. listening to, or I was listening to one of her videos, and it just sounds like rock to me. I don't think it sounds particularly punk rock, but maybe earlier in her career, she it was. Yeah, I, I
0: mean, it could also be that just like when she was popular, there weren't a lot of okay. It says alternative rock. I mean, sometimes alternative rock doesn't necessarily sound. Like what you would expect punk rock to sound like. She's
1: English, so she's an English singer songwriter, is what I found. Also,
0: sometimes if you know a a female singer songwriter has any anger at all, we might overreact and refer to that
1: as punk. Yep. (laughs) or she any hardness to her singing yeah and you know we can count the number of women who fronted rock bands on one hand so yeah
0: but so he he asks uh pj harvey or sorry he asks rory to go see pj harvey and she says no pretty definitively says no but then of course because we have to have drama then we see well first we see Paris and her two people Madeline and yeah. Louise and Madeline is like going off about Judy Garland.
1: Judy Garland She's... was the courtney love of her day. <laughs> yep.
0: Judy Garland was the courtney love of her day which okay I I'm sorry. <laughs> First of all, I, she clearly means it as a compliment, so okay, I good guess. for her. I, I like both of those people. I am actually kind of a fan of Courtney Love. I like her band Hole. I've listened to them. I think they're great. I also like Judy Garland. They're very different people <laughs> in, like, yeah, every very way. Very different.
1: <laughs> um, yeah. Their
0: their style of music is different. Their backgrounds are different. I mean, Judy Garland was, like, a, a child star, essentially. She was sort of taken at a very she young She was, age. and the thing is...
1: Yeah, Judy Garland had a long, difficult... Well, not a long life, actually. She died in her 50s. Yeah. But it was a, a difficult life. Yeah. And she's she has given a lot of people a lot of joy and pleasure But in watching her. She is one of the most talented women I think I've ever watched perform. And every time I see a video of her performing, it, it's astounding to me how much talent she had. But, you know, was such a sad figure and died very young, and frail, always uh, frail. After about the nineteen mid nineteen fifties, she was very frail. She was, you know, drank and and not not so much. She wasn't so much of a drinker. She did drink, but she used. She got addicted to diet pills in the forties, and because she was had a little tendency to put on weight,
0: like a normal human does,
1: <laughs> like a normal human being. But who was the guy? MGM guy. I can't think of who it was, but he got her addicted. He he put her on. Diet pills and of course those are at speed. So it, it may it's hard to fall asleep. So then yeah. she had to take sleeping pills. So that, that whole vicious cycle talk about a vicious cycle <laughs> that ruined her health, ruined her life. Yeah. She was married several times. Anyway, it's just a very tragic story, even though her artistry was so just astounding and and, and I mean and she she's and it's, it's still available to us to see yeah she left that to us I like but, um, I will say
0: I don't I don't see zero connection between Judy Garland and Courtney Love I can sort of see her I think they are I mean they're very they're they did very different things I mean Judy Garland is dead Courtney Love is still alive they are both singers but very different kinds of music. The thing that I would say connects them the most is that I do think they are two people who were really negatively affected by their contact with fame. I think they were both yeah. really, they, they were definitely both kind of exploited by tabloids. You know, they had a lot of negative stories that came out about them that used their personal trauma in a way to, to sell newspapers, essentially. So that yes. is a connection.
1: I think that is. And I, they're both kind of frail. Yes. I think she, they were yes. both, I mean, Courtney Love, left up the public spheres for a long time because she was just so inundated and just came across as being you're right a victim of of her own fame and i so that might be the connection i think you're absolutely right
0: yeah so like i don't think there's zero connection it's definitely just like kind of weird like the the vibes of the two people are very different and their actual current public personas are very different but they definitely both struggled with mental illness and they definitely were Mm -hmm. both really negatively affected by what fame can do to a person. I I feel like my understanding is that Judy Garland was much more directly manipulated by powerful men, whereas Courtney Love, you know, I mean, famously in a relationship with Kurt Cobain, uh, and I know that their their relationship was very intense and very up and down. But my understanding is that no one has ever claimed that he was like trying to directly control and manipulate her. It's more just that they both had their own mental health struggles and neither of them could really save the other one. I actually I have I just want to say I have a ton of respect for Courtney Love. She's definitely a messy person, but I I like a lot of her music and I've always well, and, and- I, I respect what she did after his suicide because she was really concerned with not wanting people to repeat what he had done
1: yeah and she wanted to protect her daughter too yes. um and the guy's name i couldn't think of was lewis b Mayer. he's the one who got judy addicted to the drugs or you know started her on yeah. her back too and didn't didn't care about her did not care about her only what what she could do for his company for the movies that he made and I do think Courtney Love is an interesting person, but I just think there are probably so many other people that you could compare Judy Garland to. It was just an ad choice. Yes. But, but it's their reference. It's yeah. their teenage reference. Because at this point, Courtney Love in 2001 was probably still a very big name. You don't hear much about her anymore. But at that point, she probably still was. Uh, Kurt Cobain had just, I don't know, he was, had only been dead maybe seven or eight years. Yeah. And so it made, it, it made sense. It did make sense, yet it did make sense. It was like kind of bizarre. And yet for these girls, yeah, that's what I they mean, would think. <laughs> I
0: can kind of see Madeline specifically idolizing both of them because yeah you know mm-hmm. she is herself i don't know madeline is like stealthily becoming one of my favorite characters even though she doesn't really get a she's lot. Of funny. Yeah. She's, funny. she's funny yeah she's kind of funny she's funny and she's interesting and i feel like she doesn't get the credit that she should get i feel like they all actually both her. of
1: the both of the two girls both of the two followers maddie and what's the other girl's name louise louise have both kind of grown as characters through this season they they started off as being kind of dumb but, and, and there's, still, there's still moments where they, they come off that way, but they also come off as being very astute yeah. in their understanding of people's behavior. They, so they've grown as characters.
0: But the, the important thing that happens in this scene is that Rory says no to the PJ Harvey concert, but Tristan tells everyone that she is going with him.
1: Because he didn't hear her. He assumes that she's going to go with him and he's just going to bully her into going. And why wouldn't she? she he's Tristan. Why? Why wouldn't any girl want to go with him? So it, it's it's really it's really terrible. Yeah. Because then, uh, yeah. So then Paris just gets really mad at her again. That that comes to fruition later on. But in this in this scene, it's just really hard because they believe him. They don't believe Rory yeah. because they 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 don't want to believe Rory. I mean, they they want. I mean, Paris
0: is still very hurt about the whole she, situation. But it's
1: it's more than that. I think. I think she's just she opened herself up to Rory. Yes. And felt violated her trust was violated felt you know hurt by that and she's she's afraid to open up again so of course she's going to believe every lie Tristan tells her about Rory so anyway so then we get to a scene uh, with Miss Patty yes Uh, we're back to the scene so uh, back to this to the town so we've gone from town to school back to town and you see Miss Patty and and she's going flutter 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 she's she's teaching her dance class and she's flutter 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 your hearts are broken
0: I think they're doing swan like? I'm not hundred percent sure.
1: Could be. Your hearts your hearts are broken. Your has betrayed you. I like how she teaches dance, not by dancing, but with narration narration yeah. and coaching. Because she's she's a very heavy woman. I, I mean she probably could dance, yeah. but she, you never see her dance. So yeah,
0: yeah, she she's she wants them to get into the story and the emotion of it. Mm-hmm. I will mm-hmm. say in this scene in particular, you can kind of tell the people who've been hired to play the girls are real dancers. They they are, oh, they like, are. actually up on point they're up actually on, up on point, on point and yeah they're like really mm-hmm. doing. like honestly like I think it's Swan lake and I'm mostly doing that because I recognize that that ending move where they go down that they kind of do mm-hmm. this like really extended bow that's it's the bow in Swan Lake when the Swan Lake dies for the first time I think I might be wrong there but I've definitely seen that move before and just like watching them is like oh yeah these and then if <laughs> these the, are at the end of the scene
1: me. and now you're dead yes and now you're dead <laughs> and then they co- collapse onto the floor so that was a, that was a really good scene and, and, and we'll bring it up. Up again in a couple seconds because something else happens later on. But um, Luke is fixing things at Lorelai's house again and avoiding Rachel. Yes. And the way they introduced the scene, I had questions about is this the one?
0: Rachel comes up to Lorelai in the street and uh, asks her if she knows where Luke is and then reveals that like every time she tries to hang out with Luke, he is not there because he's at Lorelai's house fixing stuff and Lorelai is, tries to reassure her like, oh n- no, it's it's not what you think. You know, he really is just fixing stuff
1: except that it's the confirmation that Rachel needed yeah but she's you know she kind of suspected that he was at her house and Lorelai confirms this for her even though she denies it that there's anything going on yeah and there isn't anything going on yeah I mean technically there isn't but then we see the troubadour again and this is the visual that I wanted to get to yes. we see the second troubadour so my first thought was is Elvis Costello is our first troubadour Warren Zevon is our <laughs> second troubadour <laughs> yeah. and and then there's a great visual you see them looking at each other across the street then the camera pulls back and you see them a wider shot of the street and they're they're on either side of it and then the ballerina is running across the street towards And it's it was I don't know if you noticed it or not, but she's running across from Miss Patties, and it's just a really great visual. I mean, she's like you've got this this scene with the two trou- troubadours, and they're you know angry and and they're competing. They you know they and and then the ballerina just runs across the street yeah. in in her choo That's how we know it's a ballerina. Yeah, she's got the tutu. On, and so,
0: specifically, yeah. the troubadour we already know, the Elvis Costello troubadour, has already started, and then the new troubadour comes in across the street to start playing mm-hmm. right in front of him, and doesn't
1: even look like Warren Zevon except he, for his hair is much longer he yeah.
0: does I don't want to uh say like names out loud to like avoid doxing people but the person that he really reminds me of is my old guitar teacher
1: <laughs> oh Bob yeah. oh my gosh he does well the hair the yeah, long hair. The hair
0: and the glasses and the
1: glasses but I thought the color and his face and everything he looked like Warren Zevon yeah, to me, yeah.
0: So. I I don't disagree for sure yeah
1: and interestingly, Bob lived upstairs in the same apartment yeah. building from Warren Sivan. And they were both in their early 20s. And he was an interesting guy, he lived in, Cal- in LA for a while. He had stories about Warren. Yeah. So that's interesting that you thought it looked like him.
0: Yeah. But yeah, so then we go to the house, or Lorelai returns to her house and discovers that Luke broke into her house and is waiting for her inside apparently to prove that it was easy for him to break in so he needs to yeah replace her lock
1: but that opening scene there where she comes in and she can hear the sounds and she grabs her umbrella and she's walking around so the entrance to their house is there's a little like foyer that's it there's a little bit there's a little foyer and there's a door on the left of the foyer qua- across from the front door. And the camera pulls back so you can see the whole the foyer and the other side of the wall and there's a door that goes nowhere, and you think, well, it it's, it must be a closet, but it is a it, it would be a very very narrow not, in terms of lacking depth <laughs> for a closet. Most closets are at least two feet deep. There's not two feet there for it to work with. So it's a door that goes nowhere. That was my my first thought. They made a mistake with this set. But anyway, so she's walking around the corner, and it's shallow. That's what I was looking. Was too shallow for a closet. But anyway, so she finally finds him, and they both kind of they're start, they startle each other as they come around the corner because she's about ready to poke him with the umbrella and uh and then they start talking about lonely loner guys yeah
0: so yeah she <laughs> she tries she starts off a conversation about how he has been avoiding rachel and he admits mm-hmm. that being with rachel is not exactly what he had always imagined in his head and then he starts saying that maybe He's really just a loner. And Lorelai immediately is like, oh, my God, do not start with the romance of the loner. And I was like, oh, yes, I'm on Lorelai's side. For once in a Lorelai and Luke conversation, I'm completely on Lorelai's side.
1: Well, she's right. And she she mentions the romance of the loner, Lee Harvey Oswald. And he says John Weir. And she says the Unabomber, who, by the way, just died a few weeks ago, and he says, Henry David Thoreau. Yes. So this is a terrible grouping of loners. I yes, also <laughs>
0: I I want to make a, a very specific point about Henry David Thoreau because I had to read Walden in high school. Oh, God. And the whole thing with Walden. So Henry David Thoreau is famous for writing Walden, which he spent two years at Walden Pond, which he was actually living on land owned by Ralph Waldo Emerson, his friend and mentor. Mm -hmm. Ralph Waldo Emerson owned a bunch of land out in the forest, and Henry David Thoreau set up a a little uh, cabin out by Walden Pond and lived out there for two years, and then he wrote Walden, Based on that experience, this is largely what he's famous for. They were part of, both of them were part of a movement of transcendentalists, which a lot of it I agree with. A lot of it is just about, you know, kind of reconnecting with nature. However, the thing about Walden is that one of the big themes that Henry David Thoreau was really pushing with it was the theme of self-reliance he was really into this idea that everyone should be self-reliant for like spiritual reasons. And so he often gets held up as this prime example of self-reliance because he moved out into the woods and lived by himself for two whole years and kept himself alive. That's all a lie. He did live there for two years, but his mother brought him food all the time. (laughs) That's how he made it work. I knew that. Yeah. Self-reliance was completely dependent on both the land that his friend owned and yeah. his mom bringing him food so he didn't starve to death. So,
1: so I he just, was a I self-reliant him. bum is what he was. He was yes. a self-reliant bum. And like, I, yeah.
0: I, you know, I don't want this to like totally take away from the experience. If if you're into transcendentalism, so am I. I think, I think it's a very cool idea to like kind of disconnect from yourself and reconnect with nature. But, but have
1: the facts. Let's get the facts. But,
0: yeah, but like it, it, he gets held up as this example of a self-reliant man and people think that he did all of this by himself he didn't he had a whole community that supported him doing this that's that's how he was able to do
1: it i am not sure most people associate him with self-reliance i think they associate him with isolationism. it's one of the first
0: things that comes up on the wikipedia page for the book
1: well sure that's because most people don't know who henry david Thoreau is all they know about him is that he lived alone for two years theoretically and like you and said he, he wasn't li- really alone he lived but, yeah. alone
0: in that he wasn't living in a community but again yeah his mom was bringing him food all the time i don't think they were yeah. talking during and, that he, time. and
1: he was probably seeing emerson on a regular basis too in fact yeah. i think they had conversations and that made it into another book so yeah, yeah. It, yeah i know it yeah was, he's sorry right it's not so he's but i think it's a great a,
0: i think it's a great example because luke is pulling henry david thoreau as a supposed positive example of being a loner and like the real story behind this is he needed a whole community to support him in order for that to be able to happen so yeah. sure you can call him a loner if you want But let's get the facts straight. His lonerism was dependent on a community.
1: And he's not the Unabomber. And he was a loner. Yeah. So anyway, my point is just that it's a terrible grouping of, of loners. But I do get her point. The thing is, it's very complicated what's going on here. Luke is very attached to her. He does have feelings about her. That is why he can't really attached to Rachel yeah. and let her, you know, when, he, when he's sitting there talking about how he had, it's hard for him to share his space with her mm-hmm. and how, you know, the milk, he says, you know, I get, you get used to putting your milk in the same place and somebody moves in and they would put it in a different place. Well, yeah, that's part of, what being a couple is. It's not the being the couple part that's bothering him. It's being in a couple with her. Rachel is no longer the person he wants. He did when he was younger. She was his girlfriend for a long time and he did want her then Mm -hmm. but he is a different person now. He wants Lorelai but he he knows that she's involved with Max and it's getting more serious. And
0: he's a little bit in denial about it. I mean first of all I think it's partly because he is talking to Lorelai so some of this might be that he can't admit to her that he has these feelings for her but I think I think to an extent he is also personally in denial and he's like the things that he's saying to her are this is the story that he's telling himself he is telling himself Mm -hmm. that he's just a loner and that's why it's not working we know that that's not really what's happening
1: yeah so the irony of this scene is that Lorelai is basically trying to talk Luke into being with Rachel but he (laughs) wants her to talk him out of it so I mean I think
0: yeah, he wants an excuse to not be with her. And, you know, it, it. we may be being a little bit reductionist. It could also be a little bit that, you know, Rachel has hurt him before. And maybe to an extent he can't yeah, really forgive absolutely. her for that. Yeah. He is a stubborn guy. Maybe he just can't really her. He has really no reason to it. believe
1: her either. Yeah. He has no reason to believe that she's not going to take off. Yeah. And no matter what he does. So, to me, that has always been behind his reluctance. Yeah. Not because she moves the... Puts the milk someplace else. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. That's just me.
0: But I think this whole, his whole thing about being a loner is also very indicative of how he views himself in general. And actually, again, I think the Henry David Thoreau thing is kind of a great example, because to some extent, Luke is a bit of a loner, you know, he is like a fully grown man who does not have children or a wife. And, you know, he is kind of a grumpy guy. But on the other hand, he owns the most popular diner in town. He's constantly surrounded by people. He is a huge part of this community. He just doesn't want to admit that he's a huge part of this community.
1: Yeah. He doesn't want to admit that he likes it either. Yes. Um, because he clearly, if he didn't like it, he is a curmudgeon, but it's it's not a deep curmudgeonness. ness No. You know, it's like, you know, it's kind of surface level. Yeah. So, it's like he, that's his personality. That's, yes. This is what I have to do. I have to put this persona on so that, you know, to, to push people away. But really, he loves it. Yeah. He loves being a part of this community. You can see it.
0: I, and I think to an extent, like, the diner thing, it's like he needs to feel like he is in service of the community. He can't just Mm-hmm. Hang out. He wants to be doing stuff for people.
1: Yeah, that's why at Christmas he brings, or New Year's or whatever it is, he brings mm-hmm. the coffee out to the people out, you know, singing in the, and in the, the hot the town for square. Kirk. Yeah, the hot chocolate for Kirk. Yeah. Anyway, the my the next thing I have down is that there's so many walking, biking scenes in this yes. a lot of people walking a lot of people biking um
0: i did want to very briefly call out one final reference which is lorelei's like kind of final note on it is you need to give this a chance talking about his relationship with rachel and that starts with ceasing work on the winchester mystery house here do you know that reference
1: no <laughs>
0: okay so the winchester mystery house i'm super into all of the haunted places in america i i, I watched hmm. ghost files with uh shane and ryan you don't need to know who that is. But some of our listeners might. <laughs> and I really want to go to the Mis- the Winchester Mystery House. I haven't actually been but the story is Sarah Winchester was a widow. Her husband owned the Winchester Rifle Company. And oh, yeah, she moved into this house in California that started off as kind of a normal house. And then at some point, she started having people add to it she she hired like work crews and had them add to it and basically had a work crew working on the house every day of her life until she died. Wow. And the story goes that she had spoken to and and the house is weird. Like uh, it, it's it's a huge house now, huge sprawling house. You can go and visit it. People go and visit it and are not able to see all of it in one day because it's so huge and there's so much of wow. it. Wow. And a lot of it is weird. Like there there's a staircase that that just like goes to a ceiling and stops. There's a door Harry Harry Potter-like. Yeah Yeah. there's a doorway that opens onto nothingness so you know I I don't think they let you open that doorway without knowing what it is but you know if you didn't if you were in this house somehow without knowing about it you could end up walking out this doorway and falling to your death like it literally opens out of a second story or second or third story area onto nothing and so the story is that Sarah Winchester talked to a psychic who told her that she was being haunted by all of the people that Winchester rifles had killed. And that oh. she needed to basically confuse the ghosts so that they wouldn't find her, and that's why she was doing all of this. This story is oh my god potentially apocryphal. We don't. There's no real evidence that this story is true. It's possible that someone just came up with this as the explanation. But this is the story that Sarah Winchester was constantly having people work on her house because she thought that she could confuse the ghosts.
1: That is a wild story. And where is this? <laughs> uh,
0: it's in California. I want to say. San Jose, I think.
1: Okay, interesting. Or San
0: Diego. I think it's either San San Jose or San Diego. And well, those
1: are completely different parts of the state. No, so. but they're both
0: San. <laughs> oh, San. Yes, yeah. it's, it's not San Francisco. <laughs> so it's it's either San Jose or San Diego and I don't remember which okay one. okay <laughs> um but yeah so that that's the the story of the Winchester Mystery House you can go there you can check it out and it's it, it is an apt uh reference in this moment because Luke just keeps coming he literally just broke down the door so that he could have a reason to fix it
1: so <laughs> so and and this is funny because how does Lorelai know the reference I mean it...
0: you know it, my guess and I guess she's a fictional character so we don't need this specific reason but my guess is she probably watched, like, a, a daytime program that talked about it one time or yeah.
1: something. True stories, <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. So, the, so the next scene is we uh, goes to see Dean. She's trying to get her nerve up. She's trying to track him down. I mean, she's really giving it an effort. She yes. goes to, to Taylor's store. He's not there. Now she goes to his house. Mm-hmm. And we get to see Dean's house for the first time. I mean, it's gorgeous. It's, it's a beautiful, big Victorian house. Yeah. Three levels. It's really nice. Humongous. Um, and his little sister come to the door and they have a conversation and my my thought was that little actress the little sister looks just like the actor who plays dean and i wonder if the actors are related Be- because she looks a lot like him and anyways she he, i guess he's not home oh, no he is home he comes down later yeah but she has a conversation with rory where rory says you know she's a girl scout and then and she says well but but i know you know my brother because he's got pictures of you and then she's trying to get get out of the, she's trying to find out from the little girl if the pictures are hanging currently or were hanging and mm. that she gets a little demanding yes and it it makes the little girl cry so and then Dean comes down and says what's going on and before he can get to the door rory runs off
0: he runs away yeah <laughs> but he does see but her she runs away. back and he doesn't know for mm-hmm. sure that it's her but you can kind of tell that he sort of suspects <laughs>
1: He figures it's her, and and his little sister is crying. So anyway, then we go to, I've got Troubiter act as a money-making scheme. Oh, that must be the town meeting. (laughs) Yeah, the the next thing So first of all, they're walking into the town meeting with all this food, including the ring pops. Yes. Which is a foreshadowing, I think, because, you know, he gives her a ring. Of course, he gives Rory one, too. Yes. but then they trade. And (laughs) then they trade. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He's brought ring pops. They have, like, fries. They have a whole Bag full of food. Of oh my god! Yeah,
1: do. and it's against the rules to bring food in, it which, is. which Taylor points out. Yes. But the ring pops, and everybody knows what a ring pop is, right? I, I assume it's a I, it's candy, a, yeah. a sucker candy that you put it that you put on your finger as a ring, and you yeah, suck I guess it they, down to it
0: I don't know if they really exist anymore, but yeah, it's it's a little it's a little plastic ring with a fake diamond made of candy,
1: made of candy, and yeah, when you guys were little, when you guys were Halloween trick or treating age, we used to get those all the time. Yeah. Yeah. and I'd find them all over the house, mm-hmm. halfway done.
0: I mean, they're they're kind of a great candy if you want to be able to have it for a long time because you can just put it on your yeah. ring or you can just put it on your finger and then finger. you like mm-hmm. walk around with it and you don't have to be like consuming it all the time and you also don't have mm-hmm. to be like holding onto a stick. It's kind of like a sucker, I guess. It's like a lollipop, but like it's in, a sucker, yeah. A but it's on your finger, yeah, yeah. In ring shape.
1: So they walk in and they're in the middle of a vote, and then we never say what the vote is for, but yeah. she raises her hand to vote yes or no whatever and she, she goes with the majority she whatever the major majority movie. was voting she she votes with them and taylor points out to her, you don't even know what we're voting on then they sit down and taylor wants to bring up this whole troubadour uh now we have two we have to get rid of them it's- i think he
0: actually he did not want to bring it up originally he opens the floor and the elvis Costello oh yeah yeah you're is right. the one who brings it up and he says that he wants to be the only Troubadour and that that's the only Troubadour that the other Troubadour is breaking the Troubadour code but Taylor reacts to this by claiming that they're both just fraudsters basically and it's it's a money-making scheme at which point Miss Patty points out no it's not the troubadour refuses money. Apparently, they both do. But then the the Warren Zevon troubadour uh, appa- further breaks troubadour code by saying that he runs a kinkos in Groton. So yeah. the the original troubadour, the Alaskan troubadour, won't tell anyone what he actually does for a living because it's part of his mystique.
1: It's 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 like a code or something. Yes, it's part of his, the troubadour his code. troubadour
0: code. They can't take money. And He's they, secretive. Yes, and you can't know who they really are. So I guess they're probably both of them are not actually living in stars hollow hmm they're just visiting from townships nearby
1: and they provide like a musical uh, theme I mean like whenever there's a scene that they' I don't know they, they use it as a way to go between scenes he'll play a song that seems to reflect either what what just happened or what's about to happen it's like a transition so it's always kind of supportive of the story
0: they're they're talking about what the troubadours do and luke interjects so taylor is like kind of against both of the troubadours and then luke interjects he loiters on street corners as his way of explaining (laughs) it and taylor goes we're two peas in a pod luke and luke is immediately offended but it's kind of true they're they're both you know we have mentioned are. this a bit before they are both kind of the same they just happen to be like opposed in very specific ways but they're both grumpy old men
1: <laughs> but luke doesn't always want to act on yes. his grumpiness mm-hmm. and taylor does he wants things yeah. to change he taylor is much more persnickety way. yeah He's persickety. Luke is just observant
0: <laughs> and kind of yeah. baseline grumpy,
1: <laughs> but he's, he's usually right. And yes. he talks about environmental golf courses are bad for the environment, and you know. Yes.
0: And then Kirk reveals that he has the town handbook on him. <laughs> I guess I, I actually I did not write it down, but I, does he? F- find out or does he see that there can only be one troubadour because they do come to a conclusion
1: I you know don't I don't know because but Taylor does kind of make the decision he announces is he the mayor he's not the mayor he's not the
0: mayor well so this is the this is what I tried to uh talk about before there is an episode where the mayor shows up and then they just sort of slowly phase him out and now they just kind of don't have a mayor and Taylor is usually the one in charge of these meetings so he's not the mayor they just kind of don't have one canonically they were, they did have one in the early part of the season but i think yeah, they just yeah i remember i think taylor just is ultimately a, kind of a more engaging character than the mayor was the mayor didn't really have much of a personality
1: so he he declares well it's like he, i declare this troubadour is good and that one is bad so elvis once a day.
0: i might be misremembering but i think what happens is kirk sees that they are only supposed to have one troubadour and the town votes to keep the original troubadour and i believe believe the Warren Zevon troubadour just like packs up his stuff and starts to go although they he does show up in a later he does show up
1: later well and and the funny thing about that is who puts troubadours into their city code
0: (laughs) i mean this town or their
1: city handbook or yeah this town so that that's kind of a, a funny thing yeah then we have the luke and rachel breakup scene which is kind of perfect we knew it was coming he goes back to the to the diner she's closing up she let the the one employee go home early because everybody was at the town meeting so nobody was in the diner yeah and he says oh that was a good decision and then she comes around the counter and she's got all of her bags and luggage with her so she is ready to leave as we knew she would from the first episode she showed up and we knew she at some point would leave and she does and she tells him though it's what she says to him is that it's because he he doesn't open up to her and she says, you know, you clearly have a thing for Lorelei. I mean, and everybody knows that who watches the show. We all know he has a thing for Lorelai. They've never admitted it, but Rachel says it out loud. She puts it into words. But a part of me was also thinking, yeah, but this is your excuse to leave because you are a nomad. You loved being here for a while, but this is never going to be your thing. Yeah,
0: I mean, I you know, it, this is one of those things where it's like, I don't know if I'm just coming up a- upon the fact that this is a TV show and the TV show wants... Luke and Lorelai to eventually get together. But to me, it does feel like she's giving up awfully fast. She is. She just... Asked Lorelai to tell Luke to check in with her, and the next scene with her is her leaving. She's not really giving him a chance to correct this behavior, and and I do think it is a little bit unfair to expect him to immediately trust her when she has left him before. Yeah. Now that being said, you know if she's not that committed to this relationship, then you know you Mm -hmm. don't have to try that hard. You know, like it's it's up to her what she wants to do with her life.
1: And if she's not going to fight for him, then she does. Doesn't deserve it. And if she's not gonna fight for him, it's probably because she's also realized that living with somebody means that they can move the milk in the refrigerator. She it's not just it's not just I mean that's what that's what commitment is. That's what yeah. relationships are. You have to live you have to learn to live with the four of the person you're living with. And maybe she doesn't want to do that. Maybe she has also had the realization that this is just not what she wants. She's realized it before. I mean, she's left them before. So I mean, I think
0: kind of no matter what way you look at it, part of what's happening here is they've been broken up for a really long time. And maybe on Mm -hmm. some level they both thought that if they got back together, it would be exactly the same as it was before. But there's no way it could ever be that way because time has passed. And one of the things that has changed is Luke has met Lorelai. And, you know, Rachel wasn't necessarily expecting that to happen, so you know maybe to her she was only really going to be in this if it was going to be easy right off the bat that's a yeah. choice that she can make and you know and like to be fair if i were in her shoes i'm not really sure what i would do because i do think it is pretty obvious to anyone who is looking that luke is very into Lorelai.
1: yeah and and rachel is really into her life i mean she's yeah. got she's got a terrific life i mean she's got a, a career that people would die for she goes all over the world and and takes photographs so yeah i think she that would be hard to give up for something that isn't a sure thing isn't a sure bet you know and and he and he's not yeah she probably figures i'm just gonna go back to my life i you know i I was enjoying it i thought i wanted to give this a a shot but this is not enough yeah she needs somebody who's going to commit to her yeah
0: um all right so then we get the scene at school this is the thing that i wanted to say so we get to the scene at school and this is basically when Tristan's previous lie kind of comes home to roost. Rory shows up at school and Paris has aligned Louise and Madeline against her again. They all believe Tristan that Rory is going out with him. And Paris has just decided that Rory used her to get to Tristan or or something that she's not to be trusted. Uh, And the big thing that she threatens her with is next year, they're both going to work on the school paper. Uh, Or Rory is going to go out for the school paper and Paris has just become the editor of the school paper and this is when she says i believe she says that she's giving the music beat to madeline maybe she says louise i think it would make more sense if it was louise my main i
1: think it was louise actually i i think it was and yeah it's very mean thing to do because
0: the the thing that they say is whoever she gave it to is like not into music and i'm sorry if it's madeline and madeline is a fan of both judy garland and courtney love that girl is into music (laughs)
1: Yeah, I think it's Louise. And <laughs> yeah, I think it's got to be Louise. And and what Rory says is she ha- she owns two CDs. She's yeah. not into music, but but the thing is, it doesn't matter to Paris. Yeah. She has been hurt. She is afraid of being hurt again. She was hurt by Tristan. She thought that uh, Rory had betrayed her, and that hurt her. She is so vulnerable mm-hmm. all the time. All she can do is put up this wall and push back and be a mean person. And it's it's too bad because Rory could and will eventually become. They eventually become good friends. But Rory could be a very supportive. I almost think when this scene is going on that yeah, you're picking Louise, but we're going to get this resolved, and you're going to end up depending on Rory to to help you because Rory not only knows music she can write. We don't know anything about Louise's skills. So I'm not too worried about it but it's still hurtful.
0: Yeah. I can't remember but I feel like and I hope that this scene is actually setting us up for Tristan sort of leaving the storyline and it really being about just Rory and Paris overcoming their animosity and their competition their competitiveness with each other. Paris in this scene I, I feel like a big part of her character right now is she is really vulnerable and she responds to that vulnerability by trying to control other people and in the scene yeah. it's not just about Rory it's also about Louise and Madeline and I think this sort of explains yeah. why she's friends with them even though they don't have that much in common and it's because in scenes like this they she will be loyal them. to her. Yeah, she can control them, she can well and tell them She what gets to that do. from her
1: mother. Her yeah. mother controls her. So that's it's that's this been role modeled for her. That's that's all she knows.
0: But I, I also think I'm you know it's one of those things where I'd have to go back and look. I think that that last visual when they're standing on the stairs is like a direct echo of one of the first times that we saw them with Paris on the lower stair and the two girls um kind of on either side on the stairs behind her and then they do this like coordinated turn to walk away they all turn at the same time yeah and And it's like
1: a it's like a triumvirate yeah it's like the two girls are on the upper stairs hairs at the bottom it's a very they are they are commanding the scene they're in control and there's nothing rory can do about it so it's a it's a power yeah it's a It's a power move yeah
0: yeah. And I'm pretty sure it is a callback to when we first saw them. So it's almost like, okay. you know, visually we're saying we've been brought back down to zero with this storyline and mm-hmm. we're going to kind of start all over, which I'm sort of okay with yeah. just because I like so much of their storyline is wrapped up in Tristan and I am ready for their storyline to be just about them Move and on. not have this piece of shit in the middle
1: of it. I know, I know. And and I, I love the way they ended. She kind of turns to her and says, have a good summer. And then they and you're right, the three of them turn and walk away. And then we get to the scene where,
0: <laughs> oh, God, this scene.
1: Okay, you want to set it up? Because I have comments about it. I don't think I can set it up. I,
0: I have comments to <laughs> mainly that Max, Max's stock with me really tanked in this scene. Although Luke didn't come off great either. Okay, so Lorelai's getting ready for her date with Max. Uh, Luke comes over to the house. She thinks it's Max, but it's Luke. He has come to pick up his toolbox and Lorelai gives this whole little spiel about how they named it Bert and they said goodnight to the toolbox or whatever. Luke comes to pick it up, but then Max arrives and Luke and Max immediately get into a weird pissing match with each other where they're both kind of trying to stake their claim on Lorelai and sort of one up each other. Neither of them comes off well, but my main feeling is like, you know, at least Luke, kind of knows that he is currently in the losing position with max i'm just like dude why are you rising to this guy's bait and then after luke leaves max turns it into this argument with lorelei when she did like Mm -hmm. nothing in that scene
1: okay there are a couple things in here so first of all she introduces him and she says this is luke danes this is the first time we have ever heard luke's last name as far as I can tell. So, and my next comment was, oh my God, the testosterone. Yeah. But then the, what, what Lorelai says to them when they're going back and forth and they're very clearly trying to assert their relationship, even though Luke's is just a friendship, but but they're definitely trying to assert their relationship with her. And she says, I just want to make sure you guys are done swinging those things around and mm-hmm. they don't get it. Actually,
0: she, we says get that, it. she says that after Luke has left.
1: I thought it, they were. They were both still there when she said it because neither one of them understood what she was talking about. Max
0: definitely acted like he did not understand what she was talking about, but I'm pretty sure Luke had already walked out of the scene and she's saying that to Max, which to me was like, this is her very clearly saying, I don't understand why you guys felt like you needed to stake a claim on me that's real weird which then max turns around and is like so are you done fucking that guy that's not what he says but
1: but also when she says are you done swinging those things around she's talking in, yeah. about their their yeah their their things <laughs> yes <laughs> they're male things and he admits to dating somebody in this conversation, and they get a, It's a bickering session. It's contentious. Like
0: I said, I, I, my Max's stock plummeted in this scene for me. Not, oh, that, I, I, not yeah. that I've been. It's funny because I keep. I remember when I watched this show as a teenager, I actually liked Max. I I thought he was a good Hmm. dating partner for Lorelai and I was like honestly torn with whether or not he or Luke were better. But I remember when I first watched this scene, I thought Max was like a good competitor. Now I am an adult and I have an adult's view of relationships. And I'm just like, if someone that I had been dating for a month met one of my long term male friends, acted that way in a conversation and then turned around and accused me of sleeping with that friend... I would just be like this is such a red flag you are on thin ice just just acting this way at the
1: same time it based on luke's behavior and what he said there was definitely some jealousy there so max has good reason to think that or at but least that's
0: luke's behavior not lorelei's behavior not lorelei's
1: okay you're right about that okay so anyway he admits to dating while they were broken up and i don't know how long they've been broken up At that's this the other point.
0: thing he admits it in kind of this vicious way like he's sort of trying to one-up her because he thinks that she yeah. is genuine Dated Luke because he's not listening to what she is saying.
1: Yeah. So and then he she admits to sleeping with Christopher and I was sitting there thinking, did we know that? I'm trying to remember the scene and yeah, mm-hmm. we do see them getting we getting did. up and buttoning their clothes. Yeah. So yeah, we, we definitely know that they had she admits to sleeping with Christopher on the the, the the porch or the patio outside of her in her at her parents' house. She thinks they should break up rather than a murder suicide, which was a funny line. And he thinks they should get married. So the that the whole scene is that they are bickering back and forth about what they did during the during the time they were broken up before they got back together, and then he ends that conversation by saying we should get married, and to me that's a cr- controlling thing too. Yes, but at the same time she comes back and she says you don't you did not just propose to avoid bickering; it should be romantic. Seriously, it, you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm thinking, first of all, proposals don't have to be overly romantic. Yeah. It, in fact, I hate proposals. I think it should be a joint decision. It yes. should be a conversation, not a, not an uh, artificial setting yeah. proposal. So she's being overly romantic here is what yes. I'm saying. At yes, the same absolutely. time, I think yes. she's absolutely right yeah. that... He proposed to get over the bickering. I mean, they're both kind of being weird. He
0: he proposed kind of as an extension of his staking a claim on her.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Okay, I've got a a number of points to make, so I'm going to try to be coherent. Go for it. I have known couples who have done proposals, but what they've done is the couple decided beforehand that they wanted to get married, But, you know, one of them wanted to have that experience of the proposal. So they decide beforehand that they're both on the same page and they want to get married. And then they get the surprise proposal. But it's not like an emotional, horrifying surprise because they're both on the same page. That's the thing is you both have to be on the same page about like where you want the relationship to go, whether you want to get married. I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong about wanting that romantic moment. But I do think you need to be in communication with each other. And I do think there is a terrible tendency for TV shows and movies to romanticize the surprise proposal in a public space, which to me is just the number one way to pressure a woman into saying a yes that she doesn't really mean.
1: You see a lot of these on uh, Instagram, too, Yes, where people have proposed to somebody in a shipyard or on an airplane Mm or, you know, and just in weird places that with they expect everybody around them to stop and watch, mm-hmm. and so it's a public display. And it's like, who are you trying to impress?
0: Yeah, and also like, I mean, I will say personally, I'm like, that's what the wedding is for, you know, when you have yes, gathered everyone exactly.
1: Who cares about you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So, but,
0: but I do want to say, like, I know, I know there are people who are who really want that romantic proposal, and I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that as long as you and your partner are actually on the same page and are actually communicating. If you've had
1: a conversation about it beforehand. yeah, I I agree with that, but I think it shouldn't just be one person's decision. It's usually the man proposing. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I just... It's always bothered me that it's a surprise proposal. They haven't talked about it. I don't know. I, I it's just always bothered me. And it's we see it a lot in TV yeah. and movies.
0: Especially the way that it gets shown on TV and movies where it's a surprise. Half the time it's in a public place. And I'm just like, okay, we present that in films like it's a universally positive thing. But I can absolutely imagine being in that position and not being ready to get married, or yeah, you know, knowing in your heart that this is not a relationship that's gonna last and then yep. suddenly you're in a public place like in a at a freaking like baseball game and everyone and in what the stadium to do? is looking at you because yes. you're on the screen. You have no choice yes. but to say yes. You say no and that crowd yes. is gonna immediately turn on you. An entire stadium 20, of people. twenty thousand
1: people. <laughs> yes. Twenty thousand people are watching you be proposed to it's it's ridiculous. Yeah. But anyway, but she's right that getting married isn't the answer to it's, their bickering. it's So not also
0: Okay, so his argument is that he thinks they're quote-unquote stuck in a vicious loop, like they were saying earlier. Mm-hmm. And I think he is misunderstanding what is happening. They yeah. are not stuck in a vicious loop. He keeps making super emotional decisions, super emotional unilateral decisions for the both of them. When they were together before, he was the one who wanted them to like super commit and like tell Rory and have have Lorelai like commit to him completely. And then when she did, he turned around and broke up with her
1: well and going back further than that even he he's the one that pushed her into a relationship Mm -hmm. that that she wasn't sure was going to be healthy for her or her daughter Mm -hmm. and then he broke it off Mm -hmm. and yeah he's been the one who's been pushy all along and it's such a typical stereotypical thing yeah. for the male to be able to make these decisions and the woman has to go along with it and she stands up to him to her to her credit in this scene um, she
0: does yes in this
1: scene yeah
0: it's interesting because they present max like he's you know an intellectual and a measured person but all of his actions have actually been like pretty impulsive and not necessarily like yeah he's very immature that well thought out. And, you know, some of that is definitely that it's a TV show and we need dramatic things to happen. And, you know, ultimately the show is not as invested in Max as it is in Luke. So if one of them is going to do a dramatic thing, it's probably going to be Max so that we can have that drama.
1: Well, and she she describes what her idea of a perfect proposal is. and She mentions A Thousand Yellow Daisies, which we'll get back to in a minute. But then we cut to Rory and Dean. So Rory has been trying to find Dean and she's leaving school and Tristan
0: harasses her trying to
1: bully her <laughs> yes. he's harassing her bullying her and to go this concert with him and keeps saying i never said i was gonna go but but i spent a lot of money on these tickets no your father spent a lot of money mm-hmm. on those tickets and she's i'm not gonna go with you we're not yeah. dating i'm not gonna date you i've told you this before
0: he is of the opinion that because he bought these tickets she owes it to him she to should go with she him. should
1: go yeah she owed it to him <laughs> another controlling man mm-hmm. so he he and to to make that point visually he takes her books out of her yep. arms and will not give them back to her unless she says she'll go with him. she said fine you know it's the end of the school year she says fine keep them i keep don't them. need those books so so she walks away i
0: love rory in, in this scene as she's interacting with him she will just not she's not taking any of his shit she's just like mm-hmm. you didn't pay for those tickets your dad did fine keep the books i just don't want to be in this conversation anymore
1: <laughs> i don't want to be in the same room with you anymore and yeah. and, and and not to mention that he has destroyed the, the fragile relationship mm-hmm. she had built with Paris. He has mm-hmm. done that. He has done that alone. So she's, she's pissed at him. She walks off and then she sees... The dean. dean has pulled into I don't know what kind of park if they he, yeah, keep parking. In, they've
0: done this a couple of times. This looks like a courtyard, but people are just pulling yeah. up and parking there. But it's only ever one car at a time. I, whatever. It's television. <laughs>
1: he's got he's got a green truck pickup truck, which yes. is just adorable. Uh, he pulls up in it and he, he he's come to to tell her that he wants to talk to her, but then he sees her with Tristan and assumes that she's dating Tristan. A, you know this should this should be a red flag for him. Why would she come to your house if she was in a, if she had started to date Tristan? Men men are just acting stupidly throughout this entire episode. Yeah. Um. And he's one of them, to, you know. And so he gets her. He 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 starts arguing with her, and he, he won't listen to her. I'm not dating Tristan. Well, I just saw him with your books. Well, he took my books anyway. So he doesn't believe her. He starts to walk back to his car, and she yells at him. I love you. So, I don't want you to go. I love you. Yes. And she finally admitted this to herself and to him. Yeah. She needed time. We yeah. talked about this when it first came up. She needed some time to realize. Yeah, and I think, you know,
0: one of the things that we skipped past is she she gave this whole speech in the middle of the town meeting, which I mostly skipped past because I was cringing the whole time. Um, but she, oh, she kind of gave it, this whole speech. It about was like, good, though. Yeah, she was, she was talking about the troubadours and how sometimes a song can express what you have trouble expressing yourself. And it was basically about her... inability to express herself in the moment. And that kind of happens to her again in this scene. You know, he's upset to see her with Tristan. She's trying to explain herself. He you know, says that he thought that she was trying to like talk to him based on, you know, he saw the speech that she made in the town meeting. He knows that she talked to his sister and she kind of won't admit it in the moment. You can see her sort of like freezing up. And then, yeah, it's weird. And then finally she just blurts out, I love you. And that's all he needs to hear, basically. And, yeah, and you yeah. know, like he. But you're I, right
1: in the the, the scene in the, in the town hall meeting. She, it's a lovely speech that she gives because she does describe what music does for us. I mean, she's mm-hmm. There's two things going on here. She adequately describes what music and and art, yes. as a rule. Does for us. It helps us to express our, what the artists to express their feelings, but the rest of us to see in the art that they've created our own feelings, mm-hmm. and to, you know to see them revealed and and to help us understand them. And that's what artists do. And she expresses that very uh, poetically and and just just really lovely. And it's yeah. a lovely little speech. But she also realizes at the end that she's it's kind of embarrassing because it's also she uses personal. It's also personal for you. Yeah. You can see that what she's saying is personal. That she she has a hard time expressing herself, um, but it's still it's, it's a lovely scene. And then when this scene is over, she looks back and Dean has left. He's gotten the message, yeah. But and that's why he comes to her school because he he knows that she is trying to tell him something. Yeah. He's not sure what it is, and so then she tells him. It. But but before they can get there, they have to bicker. Yeah, it's like it's like that old trope that that people can't they have to bicker before they can come together
0: yeah (laughs) i mean yeah i I think you know what we're we're it's the it's the last episode of the first season and this is kind of our emotional climax so i think to Mm. kind of amp that up they have this bickering moment and you know it is one of those like Dean, you know, she doesn't like Tristan, you know that it does it does not matter to her that Tristan is a TM cute boy. She just cares that he's frickin obnoxious. But, you know, Dean is also hurt from like how their relationship ended. And and also, Mm -hmm. you know, he feels somewhat rightly put out that the whole town blamed him.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So you know, but and also like he does, he does wait for her to speak. It's just that then in that moment she has so much trouble expressing herself but finally she does.
1: Yeah, she's she's not very good at that. She's good at it with her mother. Yes. It, it's it's a, it's a constant uh back and forth with her mother. It's it's smooth and but it it's not that way with Dean. It never is. Or with Paris. Those are the two people she struggles the most to communicate with and connect with because of her I don't know what her insecurity I'm not sure
0: but they they do get back together in that moment and then we go to the final scene of the episode which begins with Kirk and Michelle arguing just outside the inn uh Michelle is pissed because he is the one who has to okay all of the flower deliveries and there has been a huge flower delivery that he did not okay and Kirk of course is being his usual like sort of brick wall i i just take Mm -hmm. the deliveries where they tell me to
1: take them and and you think you think during this scene oh she's gotten flowers Mm -hmm. it just you know he's he sent her flowers uh, either to make up for the the evening before or to to deliver on his promise, we have no idea what's coming, and that she's walking in very slowly as their their bickering is, is going on. Kirk says to her, "You have to be here to sign for it yeah. and that's a little weird. She thinks it's a little weird, so she walks in to the lobby of the of the inn and it is a full room. Of a thousand yellow daisies, and I think it's um, you know, like bouquets of them, you know, in different places all over the room, and it's a whole room of of daisies, and it's 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 a incredible visual scene that we end with later on with her sitting in the middle of the daisies, and it's it's beautiful, but it's also kind of concerning (laughs) to me. It was concerning to me.
0: My note was: this is such a big red flag. (laughs) Like, it's it's very yeah. it's very pretty, and she is obviously swept up in the romance of the gesture. We can tell that these are mm-hmm. from Max. And I'm just like, okay, again, let's go over the timeline. They had dated for like a month or two, and then he kind of broke up with her out of nowhere. Then they got back together. They've been dating for a month, maybe two, if you're generous. And mm-hmm. in right after a fight that was spurred by his unfounded jealousy of Luke because again yes Luke was acting territorial over Lorelai but she was not reciprocating that she was not acting like she was into Luke Max was mm-hmm. reading that but that that's not how she was acting they're just close friends so Max is reading Luke's territorialness as somehow indicative of Lorelai's behavior and his immediate response after also himself trying to stamp his claim on her is to do this crazy romantic gesture to kind of coerce her into saying yes, basically. I don't mm-hmm. think he sees it as that, but to me, this was a huge red flag. If it were me, I would be like, oh my god, this relationship is over. You, you cannot just like behave terribly and then do a huge romantic gesture to make up for it. And if this is what mm-hmm. you think is how we should resolve this, we are on different pages.
1: <laughs> Well, and the thing about Luke, too, when he's being territorial, you could also interpret that uh, as his being protective. Yes. He has, on in several instances and in, during the during this season, been protective of Lorelai. You know, I think, in fact, the first time he met Max, I thought they'd met before. And he, he interrogated him, I think. So, yeah, you know, I'm not like, sure what are I... your intentions kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I can't remember if they've... Had an extended meeting before, but they've definitely been in the same. No. I mean, they were literally in the same room earlier in the episode because they were both yes. in the town meeting. Yeah. So I'm
1: not sure. I'm sure why. they've met before. They've met before, so I'm not sure why he acts like he doesn't know him. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's a testosterone thing. But anyway, so she calls him. She calls Max, and he goes off. He's got the speech. It's very well written. The actor does not deliver it very well. But he, I, I thought, I, I just thought his, I don't know, his phrasing was just, you know, where he emphasized words was awkward.
0: I definitely think her acting in the scene super outshone him because you can just tell that she is like truly floored by this. And Lauren Graham is doing a great job.
1: Of she like, does a great job. Showing
0: all these emotions. Yeah. And I agree. I think his delivery is a little flat. It is
1: flat. But her sitting in a room full of the thousand daisies is a great visual. And he'd said, just to, just as a back reference, she had, when they were talking about what kind of proposal she wanted, yes. she said it should be in a room full of a thousand daisies, yellow daisies, and that's what, what he did here.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then there's one more slash. I guess depending on how you want to denote scenes, one to two more scenes because there's she goes to Luke's diner
1: looking for Rory. She's very excited. She you know she wants to tell somebody. She can't. She just can't tell Luke yeah. before she tells Rory. So yeah. she really needs to. But she doesn't. doesn't need. It's not just that she needs to tell Rory. She needs to get Rory's permission. Yes. And she wants she wants to discuss it with her, not just tell her. Uh, she'll tell her about the proposal, but she really wants to discuss the whole thing with her. And she does eventually find her, but in the meantime the Troubadours have coupled up. Yes. <laughs> so they have found you know, Elvis Costello is yeah. is, is is singing and then Warren devon walks up looking dejected and downtrodden yeah. and and Elvis invites him to join him. So Just, they yeah, they, they perform together. Yeah. And then you see um the, the the final visual of the season is Rory and her mother running towards each other, not in slow motion. No. <laughs> but definitely running towards each other across the town square and ending in a hug because they both have something to share with the other one. Yes. They've both had romantic success in their lives and we know that there are problems in both but but it ends on a high note.
0: Yes, it does. And it ends on kind of the thematically appropriate note because you know whatever you want to say about their boyfriends, this show is about Lorelai and Rory's relationship with each other.
1: I think it in the end I think it was a pretty good episode. There's a smoothness to the relationships in this episode. That these people are often uh in sync with each other. So Suki picking up on Michelle's Andre, um, Lorelai and Max on the phone in that early scene. You know where they're back and forth, and the and it's just it's just a very smooth back and forth. Luke, when he's on Lorelai's roof, as they describe people until they remember the auto body guy's name, it's like everybody is playing off of each other in a very smooth and connected way. The troubadours, e- even at the end, get together. The The only exception to that, I think, is the Paris thing. There's a disconnection there, but everywhere else, there's a smooth connectedness between the people in the scenes and they, they're playing off of each other and in a way that that Lorelai and Rory, it's usually reserved for them, that yeah. kind of connection. Um, but it, it's happening with all the other people. So in a way, it almost feels like it's a good way that to show that that everybody's evolving. Lore, you know, Rory is going to leave the nest at some point. Lorelai is going to be on her own and so other people are picking up that baton kind of you know they're making those connections with each other and and it was kind of really good writing and was fun to watch good good way to to end the end the end the season i think
0: yeah and it does leave us on the kind of conclusion that is both a bit of a cliffhanger and also emotions feel somewhat resolved uh you know certainly Mm -hmm. rory and dean have had at least a temporary happy ending you know to an extent luke feels a bit more resolved because at least someone has made him to some extent face his feelings for lorelei we don't feel as resolved about Lorelai and max but you know ending on a proposal is kind of a classic happy ending type of thing mm-hmm. even if you know i personally don't think this is the relationship for her yeah As much as I see everything that Max does in this episode as a red flag, I don't think the show is on the same page as me. I I think the show sees him as a well-meaning guy who is, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe a bit impulsive. Well, I I don't know. I think the show thinks that this is the only time he's been impulsive. I think he has been impulsive almost every single time he has made a decision. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know but it's still it's still a romantic moment and the the visual with the flowers is is pretty great and i do know a teeny tiny spoiler the uh, opener of the next season begins with the flowers again
1: actually i was tempted i was tempted to watch the next episode because i want to know what's going to happen even though we're not going to be uh necessarily talking about it right right away we might at some point in in the next season of our podcast we, we might get back and and, and talked about it occasionally, but yeah, I' tempted to watch it and find out what happens and I, I remember a little bit about it, but uh don't want to have any spoilers here. You should watch it, yeah, <laughs> watch the show. It was a very interesting end of first season episode, and uh they did resolve a lot of stuff, but it also kind of set up some. Some possible uh, conflicts in the coming season. So mm-hmm. did what it's always done. Good. It was some of the. It was really good writing. And you know, the just as a comment on the whole season, there have been four or five episodes I think that were really, really well written. This is one of them, I think. There's dialogue and just in terms of conflicts and and setting up uh, character development. There have been a few of those of just really, really top-notch. This is one of them. They saved one of their best episodes for the end of the season. Yeah. There have been a, quite a few bad ones. Yeah. <laughs> so go back and listen to our, our earlier episodes to find out about those. Anyway, anything else?
0: Uh well I guess I'll just note the grandparents were not in this episode.
1: The, and they would yeah so the the three the three ways we see the 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 show is usually the town the school or the grandparents. We didn't see the grandparents at all, which is interesting because it is the last episode of the season. Yeah, so, but uh, I but, do
0: think the writing of the episode is pretty tight, and I'm not sure how you would have added. The how you would have? I don't, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I
1: don't. I don't know. It had a rhythm to it. And I think that the tributors kind of show that, yeah. showcase that with with the music. It's just a real rhythmic episode, and the way you, the way they went back and forth. And this is something that that this show does a lot is they cut back and forth between storylines and and where the scenes are happening. The you know the sets they cut back and forth, and they did that this time really well. I mean, it, it it that's hard to do to go cut back and forth like that, and basically be in the same scene. So like you know the school, the three. Se- Three times we're at the school. That's a continuation back to back of the same scene. But it's cut. It's interspersed with these other storylines that are happening. That's really kind of tricky to do. So the writers pulled it off. So I think that's all for today, dear listeners. We are ending this episode and this season. And we thank you for listening to us.
0: Yeah. And, you know, if you do want to hear our thoughts on season two, those will likely be on our Patreon. Uh, So I'm Tessa Dare. You can find me at my website, tessadare.com that's T-E-S-S-A-D-A-I-R.com, where you can sign up for my email list, or you can follow me on Instagram at author.tess.adare or on TikTok at author.tess.adare. And if you want to support us on Patreon, we are at patreon.com slash where you lead.
1: And we are thinking about the new what is it called? Threads?
0: <laughs> we, oh yes. Well, we're not there yet, threads. but we're thinking about well, it. Well anyway. on the day of recording, threads was just announced. So whenever yes, this goes just, up, maybe threads introduce. will have already tanked by then.
1: We'll Who see. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, and I'm Beth Van and You can follow me on Instagram at S T L underscore writer underscore Beth or sign up for my weekly Substack email, Saturday Morning Musings at STL Beth dot subsect.com. this has been where you lead the last episode of this funny and terribly witty podcast about the gilmore girls from the perspective of a mother and daughter thank you for listening this season we really appreciate it we hope you enjoyed it and we'll tune in for our next our first episode in our next season of woman inherits the earth in about a month see you then <laughs>